Welcome to Politics Weekly. I'm your host, Nolan Cleary. Politics Weekly is a podcast on politics, news, and principles. This week, Ron Curtis, the Republican nominee for U.S. Senate in Hawaii, joins me to discuss Kavanaugh's recent testimony, info on Rod Rosenstein's potential exit, and more. Okay, welcome to Politics Weekly. This is, I guess you could say this is the NYCC special, since this is coming out on a Friday. For the past few weeks, the confirmation process and sexual assault allegations of Judge Brett Kavanaugh have dominated the news. Since then, Maisie Hirono, Senator Maisie Hirono, Democrat from Hawaii who serves on the Senate Judiciary Committee, uh, has been a staunch critic of Judge Kavanaugh. Since then, she's appeared on multiple television programs uh, lambasting the judge. Recently, she said this. This is a man in this country, and I just want to say to the men of this country, just shut up and step up. Do the right thing. Um, the statement uh, received praise from those on the left and scrutiny from those on the right. This November, Senator Hirono will face Republican candidate Ron Curtis. Joining me today, Ron Curtis. Thank you for joining me, Ron. Hello, I want to take me on. Of course. So the way this works is typically I talk about the news of the week. But first, I'd like to ask you uh, about, uh, I'd ask, like to ask you a few questions about your campaign. So the first question I have, and now this should be a simple question, but you, you got to be careful with this because Ted Kennedy historically uh, was asked this question in 1980, and he didn't do well with this question. This question is: Why do you want the job? Why do you want to be? Why do you want to represent Hawaii in the U.S. Senate? Yeah, um, I was retired. I'm a system engineer by trade, and I was watching our government here earlier this year, and I did not like the divisive and contentious environment, dysfunctional nature of the way it's become wholly by wholly partisan politics. And so I looked for a candidate out here that I could get behind and support in Hawaii, and I didn't see anyone running. So here in Hawaii, the word kuleana means responsibility, and I determined it was my kuleana to run for office, and not for myself, but for the people of Hawaii. I'll give you one thing. My thought on that is with the people and stuff, the whole of our government org chart is upside down. Mm -hmm. The, the, The only title in our democracy that is superior to that of president is the title of citizen. Yeah. So it's like our Constitution puts the power in our hands, free people of the independent and sovereign states. And so I'm running for the people. I'm running to make our government as best we can, once again, of the people, by the people, for the people. All right. So my next question is, uh, Hawaii is a state 
Hillary Clinton won by 33 points in 2016. It is the state Barack Obama won by a whopping 40 points in 2012. Six years ago, Maisie Hirono won her first election to a land, by a landslide margin of 26 points at a time when she wasn't the incumbent and was running against a well-known former governor. Since, then, since Hawaii was admitted into the Union as a state, only two Republicans have served as governor, William F. Quinn and Linda Lingle, and only one Republican, Hiram Fong, has ever represented Hawaii in the U.S. Senate. Right now, just five out of 51 members of the Hawaii uh, House of Representatives are Republicans, and that number is shrinking rapidly. Zero Republicans are currently serving in the Hawaii State Senate. With all this information, what gives you confident that, confidence that you can win this seat as a Republican? Um, I, I give it first, uh, while I'm a Republican, I'm a Republican because I am very fiscally conservative. And I believe the less government, the better the government. Our government right now has grown to the point that it is inept and wasteful because it's too big to be sufficiently managed or overseen. So I'm running, I'm very fiscally conservative. Here in Hawaii, the Democrats outnumber the Republicans seven to one. You're right with that. And um, the Republican Party has been pretty disorganized for as long as I can think, remember here. Yeah. <laughs> and when, when they had Senator, Senator Akaka here in Hawaii, the Democratic Party was pretty organized and fairly effective. And, and they pretty much were pretty good at running the show here. And it, we became a one-party Hawaii became a one-party state. Recently, there's been infighting amongst the Democrats themselves. There's still some infighting amongst the Republican Party here in Hawaii as they try to get their sea legs again. But um, I'll give you some feedback on some Democrats. I, I, anyone that reaches out to me, detractor, supporter, just wants more fish, I talk to them. I let them be heard, and I'll go through this guy. I've been reached out. In 2016, Hawaii decided not to run presidential primaries. They ran caucuses. And Hawaii had a Democratic caucus, and that Democratic caucus gave Bernie Sanders his largest midterm of victory in almost any state in the nation. Mm-hmm. And with Senator Hirono's influence over the Democratic Party, all the superdelegates for Hawaii voted for Hillary. Right. I remember that. I remember that. Because Tulsi Gabbard was complaining about that. Tulsi Gabbard was complaining about that. I remember yes. that. Yes. So I have, a, I have a strong contingent of, I'm going to say them, there's a far left socialist Bernie Sanders supporters that are coming to the middle to support me right now. Mm. Because they're mad at the Democratic establishment. I see. Um, so, at the same token, I'll give you one other. Here in Hawaii, it's got like the lowest voter turnout in the nation. And people just are becoming apathetic about it. And they say, Democrats are going to win. We're not going to bother showing up. So, I've been reaching out to a lot of people that don't currently vote. A lot of millennials. <laughs> mm. but, and getting them inspired. We're getting registered to vote. Make sure you register to vote in time. Here in Hawaii... Unless you're every state here in Hawaii, you can actually register to vote and vote on the same day, but you have to vote right after you register, right after you, even to election day. So, mm-hmm. and there's early walk-in voting. So we're trying to energize the youth who are campaigning on campuses here, and we're reading. We're not getting run off the campus by the liberals because we're really a moderate. So mm-hmm. we don't have these strong right-wing views. <laughs> it's yeah. a common sense view. So if we can get them to show up. Everyone that does show up is indeed low low voter turnout. Is that much more impact for getting over the hump to winning a seat? Mm. And I include them in our campaign. My campaign, if you had a chance to read the website, is full of ideas and full of solutions, but it's based on what the people, the youth, the people, the neighborhoods, the communities have told me they want done in our government. So I've done the research, analysis, and provided solutions to put forward, 
And I'm not saying I'm going to run on these issues. I'm running on these solutions that I put forward based on those issues. Mm. Now, do you support President Trump? I do support President Trump. Um, I, I, I realize he's a polarizing personality. I have family and friends that <laughs> that will vote and support for him, and they can't stand his public persona. Uh, Me, personally, I actually, after an art the deal back in the 90s, I actually was part of some teams that were trying to get Trump to run in 2000, and then again in 2008 without mm. any success. And then once he started all that birther stuff with Obama, I said, well, maybe we shouldn't have pushed him in just because I, I didn't really know him, so I just knew him as a businessman. Yeah. Now, Trump, uh, if you look at his approval ratings in Hawaii, they're not great. Um, do you believe that Trump could be an asset or a liability in this election? Um, to be honest, here in Hawaii, he is a persona non grata by a large percentage of the population, and just his showing up here in Hawaii would probably incentivize a lot of people to come out and vote against whoever he would support. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyways. So, with that, it would probably be a liability. There are things they can do. Um, I've got a, if you, if you get a chance, I've got a national health care system plan out there that's based on the Federal Employees Health Benefits Program, which is what the civil servants get, which is the best health care program in the nation. And I've got a plan on there that was based on a Senate bill that came up in um, 2007 and 2009. It was a bipartisan bill, and even uh, Senator Inouye here in Hawaii at the time was a co-sponsor. But it, it takes a major paradigm shift, and they go out to the private sector, and instead of employers offering employer-provided health care, they this, this uh, bill would make it change that to the employer subsidized health care into this national health care system. Mm. And in this federal health benefit program, it is a managed competition of over 200 private insurance providers, and they, they make a minimal cut to get on this thing. Government debts them and say, okay, now you're on here. And it's 20 of them are national, and the other 180 are local and regional health care providers. But then they now have to compete for all those civil servants. There's 400, I think there's 8 million people total covered on it, but those companies have to compete for that server, so they don't, they're not going to get the server. So once they once they include the private sector, that will bring another 140 million people into this plan, and that's an insurance model that will work, and all pre-existing conditions can be covered easily without any major impacts. It makes the health care, because nationwide, affordable and accessible to everyone, and this, because it has the economy of scale, it keeps the cost down. Mm. Now, so anyway, if, if I could get someone... My, I made a comment out there that I could help President Trump keep one of his bombs if they just come and implement this plan. He could reach out to Senator Wyden from Oregon. Senator Bennett from Utah is retired from the Senate, but they still have the bill out there. When um, it was going forward, um, Obama thought that that paradigm shift from the employer provided to employer subsidized was too big of a paradigm shift and wouldn't work, so they came up with the Affordable Care Act instead. Ah, uh, all right. Um, so my next, and I have a question about healthcare coming up, but first my next question is right now, Brett Kavanaugh is going through a hard fought battle to get confirmed to the Supreme Court. Right now, multiple disturbing allegations of sexual misconduct and sexual, uh, assault have been thrown at him. And obviously, uh, Christine Blasey Ford testified this week, his first, the first woman who came out accusing him. Now your Democratic opponent is a vocal critic of him and has, has implied she believes the accusers. Do you believe there is any credibility to any of these allegations, uh, especially Blasey Ford's when she was the one who, um, who uh, testified this week? And if you were in the Senate right now in Maisie Hirono's place, if you were Senator Curtis right now instead of candidate Curtis, uh, do you think you'd vote to confirm 
Judge Kavanaugh, uh, even if it displeased your constituents, would you vote against him with the Democrats or would you be amongst the Mansions and the Collins and the Murkowskis and the, the and kind of the not being sure, Ben? What, what, what do you think you would do? Me, I'll tell you what I do. First of all, I want to say what's currently going on with the, uh, the partisan agenda here with this thing is they're taking our modern law back over 300 years ago, back to the time of like the Salem witch trials where the accused were guilty and they had to prove their innocence. So I, I first don't like that. There was our modern law is, is the you they have to follow the innocence until proven guilty and they have to be given due process. So I just want to start from that standpoint. That That is the law. <laughs> that said, I watched the testimony from both Christine Blasey and from Judge Kavanaugh, and they, they both seem credible in my mind. Um, but neither one has convinced me without a reason of a doubt that everything is as I testified to. <laughs> so given that, I would have to judge Judge Kavanaugh on his entire body of work in his lifetime, including the fact that he has had, what, 13 rulings go straight to the Supreme Court that was accepted? <laughs> mm. At Supreme Court also, based on his skill and not having enough facts to determine what happened 30 years ago, I would vote to confirm him. Uh, what it, Would you vote, if there was a poll that came out from your constituents that showed, let's say, a, a, a big majority of them were against Kavanaugh getting confirmed, would that persuade you to, would that change your mind in any way? If there were a significant reason, I would actually meet with them, and I would like to openly discuss it with them, and really get the heart of the people and the heart of the matter, and then go back and vote with the people's heart. Hmm. So my next question is about the Affordable Care Act. Now you've said, obviously, you've said you have a national health care plan. Oh, actually, never mind. You actually answered this. Uh, the next question is uh, about. Okay, so Republicans last year, Republicans in Congress uh, pushed a controversial bill to uh, repeal the Affordable Care Act, known as the infamous Skinny Repeal Bill. Uh, Senator Hirono was a vocal opponent of this bill. Um, if you were in the Senate at the time, if you were Senator Curtis at the time, um, if there was no other, uh, well, obviously there's the national health care option, but if Republicans weren't listening to you in the Senate and they were just pushing for, that, for the Skinny Repeal and that was the only option for... A, an Affordable Care Act repeal, would you have voted for that at the time, yes or no? Um, since there was no replacement for it at the time, I would have voted no until the time they did have a replacement for it. And the replacement, I thought, they're both in the, in the House with the what, AHD, the, the Americans Health Care Act, and then in the Senate it was the Better Care Reconciliation Act, that's the one John McCain thumbs down to. Those mm-hmm. were both pretty much junk, too. So they hadn't come up with a viable plan yet forward. The, the plan I base mine on is, is if you go back and look in 2017, it's called the Healthy, the Healthy Americans Act, and there's a lot of detail. You can Wikipedia that one if you'd like, and that's what I base my plan on. And I think that had large bipartisan support in the House and Congress. I think if you could put that on the back end of a repeal of the what, is, what I call the Unaffordable Care Act at this point in time, I think we could get that through. Hmm. Uh, okay, so uh, my next question, has Senator Hirono scheduled a debate with you? Um, Senator Hirono's campaign spokesperson has stated that as long as the Senate is in session, she is staying in Washington, D.C. So we had a discussion <laughs> on the show PBS Insights scheduled for November 1st at 8 p.m. All right. Uh, so uh, 
next I'm going to give you uh, a couple of issues which are basically hot topics in the news recently. And I want I want you in a sentence or less to give me your basically a summary of your opinion on that issue. Uh, so the first uh, first issue, abortion, pro life or pro choice. I am pro life with a caveat that that doesn't belong in the hands of the government. That decision belongs with the family and community and congregation or whatever. It does not belong in the hands of government. And that's from my libertarian core and that. The government, you and I should be able to do whatever we want to do unless it causes harm to somebody else. And I hold that to government as well. And on this abortion issue, there's no way they can legislate that they're not going to infringe on a significant number of Americans' rights. So this issue belongs not in government but in the hands of family and community. Okay. Next issue, gun control. Yeah, it's a big issue here. I've done a lot of research recently. I got sidetracked by the campaigning, but um, here in Hawaii they got very strict gun control laws, but still, Hawaii has one of the highest per capita gun ownership rates in the country. And they also have one of the lowest firearm violence rates in the country. <laughs> so I started trying to research that. Here in Hawaii, the citizens that have the guns, are let them do for a hundred other ways, but they can buy guns and they keep them. The guns don't change hands very often at all. And then I was looking at places, I came from Maryland and Baltimore and friends in Chicago, these guns change hands all the time. Resale, resale, resale. And it looked like places where guns change hands a lot is more indication of where their gun violence is in this country. Now, I'd like, to, I'd like to put legislation in place to track that more accurately to see if that is indeed true because it's hard to get the data on that right now. And on the other hand, I have – you have people committing these acts, and while the tool is the gun, there's underlying problems there. And I think we should actually put up some uh, public funding to study this as a public health issue. Mm. Uh, okay, so the next uh, issue I was going to ask you about is chain migration. Uh, I, what, what are your thoughts on chain migration? Yeah, I, I, I don't like the words. I understand what it is. But the point there is when people migrate or immigrate to the U.S., they're coming here knowing that they're leaving behind a lot of their extended family and stuff, and they're knowingly making that decision. Now, when you're coming, I said bring your mother, father, son, and daughter <laughs> – and, and that's it. You bring the core family. Now, you can't start let that start chaining out there. I mean, if all that many people want to come to the U.S., <laughs> it's like, why don't you annex your country and make a new U.S. state? I mean, it, that was kind of an oversimplification, but it's just, it, 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 my immigration, I don't know if you had a chance to read my immigration plan. I'm against the chain migration. I'd like to keep it to the core family, so nothing beyond that. And, um, my immigration plan is more dynamic when I said we know when unemployment is high, we know when unemployment is low. So when unemployment is high, the immigration should be less. When immigration, when unemployment is low, immigration can be higher. And at the same token, we know when our kids are in juniors and seniors in high school, what career fields are going to be need to. And the guidance counselors told me should get into this field. This is where America's going to have the need. And I propose making the immigration policy similar to that in like a job application where America needs a job and has the voice. Will there be a, a – uh, Someone working in the field, an engineer, someone working as a, a skilled laborer, as an electrician or a carpenter, whatever. But post that up there, what skills we need, and then the number will be based on the current unemployment, and then target, make it like a job application, and accept the countries who are less represented in the U.S. over those who are more represented in the U.S. at this current time. And that drives the diversity even more in this country. So it's a win-win for the U.S. and the immigrants if you follow that needs-based immigration policy. All right. Uh, legalization of recreational marijuana. Uh, I, 
don't really have a strong feeling one way or the other about the actual use of the marijuana itself. I've read a lot of medical studies that it's less hazardous than alcohol, and, and in some states there's a lot of medical benefits to it, that if you could actually treat it properly, just call it cannabis and use the cannabis treatments. There's a, there's a lot of benefits to it for a lot of people that are less addictive and stuff than opioids and some other medications. So other than just the, the recreational use, I said, I, I could deal with it. For me, I look at all the issues with the illegal drugs and stuff like that, I, and there's three factors in all of it. One is the drug use itself. One is the crime because of the illegality and the money in it, and the other one is the money itself. So as long as our FDA keeps trying to take, you can go out of every drug dealer on every corner, on every street, and in a week, someone will be there selling the drugs again because there's so much money in it. Mm. <laughs> so I, I am okay of legalize what we can legalize, to treat it like alcohol, tax the heck out of it, it'll still be cheaper, but you get rid of the crime and the money, and then use the money you tax on it to support the problems you got associated with the actual drug use itself. All right. Uh, what are your thoughts on tariffs? On what? Tariffs. Oh, tariffs? Yes. Yeah. Tariffs, um, I, I originally didn't really follow the endgame strategy that President Trump was using with the tariffs, but it looks like he's making them work, so um, the results speak for themselves. So not having as much business knowledge as he does, I'll sit back and watch, and <laughs> we'll see how the results go. If the results keep on positive, I'll like the tariff approach. If they don't, let's hope he was able to uh, shift strategies and move on to something that does work. Okay, and one more issue before I move on to the last two questions, uh, the death penalty. What are your thoughts on the death penalty? Yeah. I understand why it's there and stuff. I personally oppose to it, but I understand why people have the capital punishment and the deterrent is supposed to provide for the most heinous crimes against humanity, really. <laughs> so I, I'm probably neutral on that. But if you're asking me my stuff, I'll probably never put anyone to death. Mm. At the same token, if someone committed such a heinous crime that that was warranted, I'm not going to stop someone else from doing it. Mm. All right. So two more questions before we get into the news. Uh, the next question I have is, uh, you've said you, that you are a libertarian on a number of issues. Uh, what, what, what type of issues, like, state a couple issues you think you maybe have libertarian leanings on. Um, your, uh, the, the, the pro-life, pro-choice was one we just discussed, that it doesn't yeah. belong in the hands of government. It, it's too, too intrusive. Um, a lot of legislation is too intrusive. Um, mm. just like, uh... My big thing is that most government is too broad in scope. They don't do the work necessarily to be more tailored to, to targeting the portion of the population of the, of the criminal element that's actually committing crimes, like the uh, the people, immigrants getting separated children from their parents at the border. It's because they just broke up stroke and said, all right, you got to do this. And like, well, they could have targeted. You could interview these people first. Are they really parent and children, or are they really some mules using or coyotes bringing kids in to get into the country? And just they could have had a better legal process for that to stop the legitimate children and parents from being separated. But that's more targeted legislation. So it's other libertarian guys. Government need is way too big. <laughs> All right. It's way too big. Yeah. So the next question I have before we get into the news is how do you think Republicans will do in the midterms this year? majorities like they did in 2016, I think they'll do fine. <laughs> if the silent majority doesn't exist anymore, I think some of the act, antics going on in D.C. right now are, are motivating, 
motivating the silent majority, those who were Trump supporters in 2016, I think they'll have a good turnout. So I think they'll lose seats in the House, but the Republicans will maintain control. And in the Senate, it's hard to follow. It's really, it, it can stay the same. If you go up. I think the Republicans hold the House. I don't know. It's about 53 or 54 seats in, in the Senate. Yeah. All right. Um, so why don't we move on to the news then? So, uh, uh, obviously this week there were the Kavanaugh hearings, there were more women that came out accusing him, um, and there was the Christine Blasey Ford testimony, and of course, uh, Jeff Flake, uh, Republican from Arizona, the senator, he he originally said he was going to vote for, uh, Judge Kavanaugh, but then, um, series of events happened, or vote for him to be at the Senate floor, but then a series of events happened, um, you know, a woman who was a, an assault victim in the elevator, uh, confronted him, and then, uh, Senator Chris Coons, Democrat from Delaware, um, uh, who's his good friend, uh, apparently persuaded him, so he said, okay, I'll, I'll vote to put him on the floor, but only if there's an FBI investigation for a week, and now there's been more mishmash with that. Amy Klobuchar and other Democrats like Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer have been saying that, you know, the investigation isn't going too well. Um, what, what do you make of everything that's going on with Kavanaugh? I know you, you, you talked a little bit about that, you know, how you said you'd confirm him. What, 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 what are some of the things, what are your thoughts on that? And what are your thoughts, on, on, uh, aside from Christine Blasey Ford, what are your thoughts on the testimony of the other two women? Do you think that... What uh, their test? Do you, they didn't give testimonies, but do you believe uh, what they said was? Um, do you believe those allegate the, the other two allegations are credible? I look at I look at it from the complete <laughs> thirty thousand foot level. This is his seventh FBI background check. If you put the face on FBI and they do a good job and they do what they're supposed to do and they do these things as thoroughly as they should do. I guarantee you they would have found something on the previous six FBI background checks if he had any kind of this stuff in his background that was indeed true and pattern of behavior. So I I have doubts based on the whole body of evidence and six previous FBI reports. So if this FBI report comes back and says something different, well, we'll have to take a second look at it. But my guess is there are quality people in the FBI that did the job before, and they got quality people in the FBI doing the job now. So... There's a different answer. I would be surprised. Mm. Anything else you want to add to that, or should we move on? Um, no, it's, it, it, I have, someone sent me a bit of information, but I don't want to share it about something that Christine Blasey Ford posted on her Facebook back on March 17th when Judge Gorsuch was confirmed. And I don't want to repeat it because I can't verify it, but it just raises doubts to me on that. I would submit that to some authorities and to look into, but I haven't heard back yet. All right, so sh- uh, so why don't, is there anything else you want to say, or should we move on? We can move on. All right, so let's move on to. Uh, there's been an update on the uh, the the Trump tariffs right now. Apparently, Tesla is worried by the China by the tariffs. Uh, Trump recently has been threatening. Uh, um, uh, uh, he's been threatening China with more tariffs. Um, and I guess, uh, it was reported recently that, uh, uh, over, uh, 450, uh, yeah, one, yeah, 450,000 jobs have been lost, 
uh, recently. Um, what are your thoughts on on the updates with the tariffs? Yeah, it's. I mean, you, you got the results the other day. A new, a new agreement between Mexico, Canada, and the U.S. So he was successful there, and any jobs that may have not been locked there are now coming back. Um, the tariffs are a tool. I think he's got the he's got China over a barrel. I don't know if you follow China's economy much, but all the subsidized bond the, the construction companies in China got are going to come due in less than six months. And they don't have the profits to cover them yet. So if anyone starts calling them in, then they can't build. They're, they're bound by Chinese regulations. They can only make so much profit on the residential properties that they go out and build. So they're going to be a, they got a six-month window, or not now five-month window, where they're going to have an issue to deal with. And I think Trump is really putting pressure on them with the tariffs. So the question is, how much short-term pain can we sustain <laughs> for a very beneficial long-term gain? So... Yeah. I think it's got to be a dynamic process, but I, I, I think the tariffs are working for President Trump's strategy right now. I, he does not share his strategy with everybody, so I can't tell you whether I agree with it or not. But <laughs> All right. Um, so another story this week was regarding Deputy uh, Attorney General Rod Rosenstein. Uh, Rod Rosenstein right now, he's... Out of all the members of the Trump administration, he's kind of been heading this, the the Russian probe, um, and or the Russian investigation. There was uh, a report this week that allegedly he was going to resign from his job, in which case rep- Democrats in Congress scrambled to find a replacement to head the Russian investigation. Um, it's looking like that's not going to be the case, but Trump did give him a. Uh, a either a talking to or some sort of meeting. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, all the unraveling news about Deputy Attorney General uh, Rod Rosenstein? I would just make sure you, you keep him under the short leash, leave him on the job, let the moment run its course, let the findings be known. But you got I would try to put some kind of an end date on this thing because it's wasting a lot of money and it's not producing a lot of results. So it's, uh, I mean, what have they done? Indicted. 13, 20 different Russian officials, but they've got some people here in the U.S. not related to anything with uh, <laughs> with the Russian meddling in our elections, but with events long before the election. So I would like to, I would I just want to see Ryan's course and come to a close sooner than later, and just that's probably the least <laughs> explosive path forward. <laughs> anything else you want to add, or should we move on? I mean, I mean I, personally, I know there was Russian Russian action in our government. If, if I, I didn't, I've never seen what the Mueller's uh, uh, probes scope was when it started, but it seemed to have grown or have scope creep as it went along. But if it is indeed to find out where the Russians were meddling in our elections and anyone else may be meddling in our elections that we just don't know about, uh, I would like to see that. I don't know if they could be published now, but I'd like to hear whether or not they found anything of that. I don't know if they can actually re- produce the results other than the fact that they found something. All right. So, we can... All right. Why don't we move on? So, the next story is regarding uh, Puerto Rico potentially becoming a state. Uh, obviously, it's been rumored for some time now that, I think for many, many years, long before Trump came along, that Puerto Rico... Um, would become a state in the last couple of years. There's been a little bit more 
talk about Puerto Rico becoming the 51st state, but apparently, according to President Trump, it won't happen anytime soon. He was asked on a radio show whether he uh, would, uh, uh, whether there was any chance of Puerto Rico becoming a state, and he said it was a quote absolute no. Uh, he cites his feud with his ongoing feud with uh, San Juan Mayor Carmen uh, Luen Cruz, uh, Cruz, who is a big critic uh, of the. Uh, of Trump's uh, failure, or she believes that Trump failed to respond in Puerto Rico. So that's so personally, she believes she was upset with his handling of the Puerto Rico incident, and they've had an ongoing feud. And he said recently, he said with the may quote with the mayor of San Juan as bad as she is and as uh, incompetent as she is, Puerto Rico shouldn't be talking about statehood. Until they get some people that know what they're doing. Uh, and he called her. He later went on to call Cruz, quote, a horror show. So what are your thoughts on, I mean, I guess this, the talk of Puerto Rico becoming a state is almost like the talk of Pluto being reaccepted into the solar system. But what are your, what are your, what are your thoughts on all this? by either side. It needs to be much more civil, detailed, and much more decorum, and have calm and open discussions about things. They, they, they need to stop placing blame for the past and focus on taking responsibility for the future. So, I, I don't have a whole lot of background knowledge on the state status or life becoming a statehood, but um, I, don't, I, I mean, it's in the U.S. territory for how long? I, I think it's probably time to consider that. Mm. So, but um, I would I would like to see it handled in a much more <laughs> much more polite aloha much more aloha spirit. <laughs> um. So. All right. Um. Anyways, why don't we move on to Trump? Okay. So Trump uh, had a speech this week at the UN. He talked about a number of things. He talked about populism versus globalism talked about immigration, he talked about the low unemployment rates, uh, in his mind at least, um, he believes that there are, you know, he, he touted that in his mind that there are, there are low unemployment rates amongst African Americans and minorities and women, that was what he was saying, those were his words, um, and, but what was mainly getting reaction was, uh, at one point when he was talking about, um, his perceived success, he, um, uh, the, uh, the, uh, nations, or all the other nations at the UN started laughing at him, or many other leaders started laughing at him, and Trump went on to, he had some remark, he said, um, oh wow, I wasn't respect, expecting that remark, or that response, um, so what, what were your thoughts on Trump's UN speech and him, and what happened there? Members of the UN from the other nations around the world, or the because it's the it's the same old, same old, same old. All his rallies, everything, same old, same old, same old. I mean, there's some truth in that stuff. A lot of his just is is, is painting and a picture he wants to be painted in. I've listened to some people look at all the numbers from Australia and saying, well, so yeah, they're lower, it's, but the ratios are still as bad as they ever were <laughs> between the various different classes that they rate unemployment for. 
So it's I, another nation's laughing. I, I I do think they see him as not so much as a uh, global leader as much as he is a businessman. And I, I, to me, I think they were sort of laughing in that vein. Mm. So. Uh, all right. Um, anything else you want to add, or should we move on? Yeah, we can. It's on the global, on the populism stuff like that. It's like, people ask me about that here, and and it's not populism or globalism. It, it's sort of everybody likes to go out and help other people. I said, we can't help everyone, but everyone can help someone. I said, and we can help people to the extent that it doesn't start becoming self-destructive to ourselves. And I think that's the nationalism. I mean, it's America first, but it's not n- nothing to the world. It's, I always give people the analogy: if you're on a, if you've ever been on an airplane, they say if the oxygen mask come down. And they always tell you to put your oxygen mask on first and then start helping everybody else. And that sort of me is, is, is the populism. So America first, but you're still going to help everyone else in the world. You're still going to work with the world to help make the world a better place. But you're not going to do it at the expense of, of America. Right. All right. Um, so why don't we... Uh, okay, so the next thing I wanted to talk about was Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Of course, she upset it. Uh, Joe Crowley, the chair of the uh, the Democrat that or the Demo- yeah the Democratic uh, House Committee, he was the Democratic House Committee chair. He was the number three in the House, um, but she of course bested him in the primaries uh, in a huge upset by a big margin. Uh, well, uh, right now she is going to debate her GOP opponent. Let me look up what his name is real quick. Hold on. Um, but her GOP opponent is an economics professor, um, which leads many people to believe that the debate might, uh, might center a lot around, uh, her socialism or her democratic socialism. Um, so let me see what, where is opponent? Anthony, uh, uh, Pappas, Anthony Pappas. Um, uh, I, I don't want to make any promises, but I'm kind of, I've at least been in the prom in the process of trying to get somebody from that race, uh, to be on the show, but, uh, he's going to debate her. They agreed to an actual debate. Um, and, uh, some, he's an economics professor. Some people believe that that will lead to the debate being all about socialism, so what are your thoughts on her agreeing to debate him? I think it's a bold move on her part. If she gets somebody can really help her describe how you're going to actually manage the cost of the socialistic policies so that she can actually present a uh, solid case. I mean, you, you got places that are more socialistic, like the Nordic models, and, and Sweden never said, it, it works. It's not the best in the world, but they're making it work. It's not as bad as Venezuela. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... Her debating him, I, I, I think he's going to come out and he's going to be all numbers game and try to get down to all the all the costs of all these socialist programs and how you're going to do it. And unless she's had someone sit down and help her come up with those plans, or even even if it's just an initial approach, I think she's not going to have fun time. <laughs> and I predict if you don't get that, I bet you watch the debate get canceled. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to say about? But well, so- actually, she was out here. Uh, there was one of the. And our congressional district won here for the House race. There was a uh, Democratic socialist. She came out here to campaign for him. And Hawaii sort of rebuffed that effort. They didn't get very many people showing up at their event. He didn't do very well. And, uh, 
races here. Yeah. But um, I was around there, and there were a lot of students that were, I'm going to say millennials, not just students, a lot of millennials, that were democratic socialist supporters. And I just started to talk. I'm, not, I'm coming from the middle. Because I'm not far right, they'd actually talk to me. And one issue we started talking about was tuition and the free tuition stuff. I said, aha, let's talk about that. I said, well, if we go back to around 1990, <laughs> the cost of housing has gone up from then until now 50%. The cost of health care has gone up 100%. The cost of college tuition and books has gone up over 200%. There is something wrong there. And I think if you just went out there and subsidize it and make it free, you're just subsidizing the underlying exploitation. <laughs> I said, yeah, that's all. It, it's, it's a best term fix. And I, I, they keep going, well, what are we going to do to fix this thing? I said, How, what, what, what else are our options? I said, well, the only viable ideology for sustained and thriving economic growth is ethical capitalism that is devoid of exploitation. They said, profit without ethics is plunder. I said, we need to seek out the corruption and exploitation everywhere in government and the free market and eliminate it. And that was resonating with them. So mm. it, 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 it's not the capitalists per se, it's people that are practicing unethical capitalism. You can't exploit others. So mm. government needs to act to make sure that playing field in the free market is fair and level. So. All right. But any, that was my message to them, and they, they responded positively to that. So. But I am a I am a capitalist, but you have to do it ethically. We have to have virtue and strong moral foundations in our government and in our free market. Mm. All right. So uh, let's move on. Speaking of the Kavanaugh hearings, two uh, Democrats that many people thought would uh, might vote for Kavanaugh, due to the fact that they're in red states, were Joe Donnelly and uh, a Democrat from Indiana and Doug Jones, Democrat from Alabama, uh, extremely red state. Both of them were considered, quote unquote, accidental senators. Um, obviously, because of the Roy Moore controversy, Doug Jones got in. Joe Donnelly got in six years ago because uh, the Republican made a gaffe where he uh, said in a quote that uh, a wo- um, rape or, uh, or being impregnated during rape, uh, if, if, some, if a woman was impregnated during rape, that was in his mind, or what he said was it was a gift from God. Uh, people took that the wrong way. He ended up losing to Joe Donnelly because of that. Um, but apparently they said they will vote no. Now, Joe Donnelly did say, oh, well, I'm willing to change my mind. Maybe I'll go back on that. Doug Jones, uh, there's no word on whether he will go back on it. Uh, the Alabama Republican Party put out a statement saying that Doug Jones betrayed Alabama when he announced he would vote against uh, Kavanaugh's confirmation. Uh, Joe Donnelly this year is in a tough battle with businessman and former state representative uh, Republican Mike Braun, what are your thoughts on uh, on uh, them voting against uh, Kavanaugh? Obviously, Donnelly might change his mind, but what are your thoughts on? Yeah, yeah what are your thoughts? Yeah, right now, them as well as Joe Manchin and um, oh, what's your name from Austin? Um, hey, hey, Camp. But anyway, I think yes, yeah. Uh, but um, I think all of them are posturing to see if they got the votes yet, and what they're going to do is wait minute, and if the Republicans got the votes, they're going to vote with the Republicans. <laughs> yeah. But they got to say right now they're not going to vote, <laughs> just for 
in politics. So the first time I aligned with most out there is Rand Paul, and he's going to take a pragmatic and practical look at every issue on the issue itself and go forward and vote based on the issue. So these guys, and most of them are career politicians, and I don't think there should be anything up to the career politician in our government. So that's why I love the people, by the people, for the people. And I'm running on a numerous things to eliminate that corruption, including attorney. So I think these career politicians are in it for the power, the special interest, and the politics more than they are in it for the people. So I think we need to vote any of those people out. So they need to look at these things not from a partisan standpoint, but from a personal standpoint and for the people they were elected to serve. So, and that's all the people. If I'm elected here in Hawaii, I have to, I have to, I have to represent all the people. Just the people who voted for me, the people that voted for another candidate, or the people that didn't vote at all for whatever reason. So those representatives and senators in Congress have to realize that and act accordingly. So a little over talk there, but... <laughs> Anyways, why don't we move on? So Saturday Night Live, which is all, all often a very politically charged show, returned this week for its 44th season. Uh, they took an aim at Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, Kavanaugh, Judge Kavanaugh himself, was played by actor Matt Damon as a guest star. But what really made headlines was Kanye West. Uh, Kanye West was, uh, who is a known to be a big Trump supporter. Um, he was brought in as a last-minute replacement. Apparently, Ariana Grande was supposed to be the original ho or musical guest, but instead they brought in Kanye West. Um, but what really caught people's attention was what Kanye West uh, did at the end, where he essentially went in front of the audience uh, and he gave a pro-Trump rant. He blamed Democrats for creating the welfare state, and for he also accused them of trying to get African American fathers out of the home. He took uh, he he also called all the SNL cast onto the stage that were still there. Keenan Thompson was not there because he went home, um, but uh, apparently uh, backstage um, it was pretty much a Sinead O'Connor ripping up the picture of the Pope type of moment, and. Um, uh, apparently the cast members, oh, and Kanye also talked about how news and entertainment and Hollywood is one-sided towards the Democrats, and, um, and he wore his MAGA hat, and he said he was, he claimed he was bullied backstage, and they were told him not to wear that hat, and this was during the credits, and everybody, uh, on the stage, I guess all the cast members on the stage were, could be seen rolling their eyes, um, Currently, a low-quality uh, version of that uh, can be found on YouTube. You can also find a better-quality version uh, in person on Chris Rock's Instagram page because in Chris Rock, the comedian, uh, was there in the audience, um, So and he filmed it. Uh, but what were your thoughts on SNL returning? What were your thoughts on the Kavanaugh skit, and what were your thoughts on what Kanye did? I didn't see it live. I saw some of the replay on various news stations. Um, they all think the, the Fox Network is trying to uh, go after Matt Damon for being a uh, hypocrite from 
it's getting what he said a year ago. It's almost coming after his name, what he was doing. He's got Chris Kavanaugh. But now the clock changes. He's going to go over CNN and they're praising the picture, uh, praising his thing, and standing up for what he thinks is right. <laughs> yeah. So, so, with all that stuff, I, I think Kanye. I think Kanye is doing as much to support Trump as, it is, as he is as trying to get a reaction from the left. Yeah. And I think a lot of it's that way. And, and it, that's since Trump got in office, I think with his. The part of the deal was, you go into a deal, you make some bombastic, just create chaos, and his, his going with the bombastic march as president, and then you come back and you restore order in the form you want to see out of that chaos. And mm-hmm. when he comes out with these bombastic tweets and statements, it sets the news, the extreme right and left, the establishment right and left, into their stuff, and it's this form of political trash talk. If you ever played a uh, competitive sport like football or something, you got a wide receiver and a defensive back like always trying to trash talk to get, get the receiver's head, get him off his game. And the second he gets, him, gets the reaction, that defense back holds him. That's what Trump is doing. He's, he's trying to get a reaction from all those people. So then while they're arguing about what he said and what he said, they're taking him literally and not seriously. And then you get all this stuff done under the scenes. I mean, the House just passed this tax, the, the tax and you take the tax in 2025 to make the middle tax cuts permanent. And it's no news coverage of that at all. Yeah. <laughs> because it, it, he's keeping the... He's acting like he's giving all the people below him doing the work. He's giving them air cover in this, with this Twitter storm and tweets that keeps the media and everything from focusing on what's really happening. <laughs> yeah. And I think Kanye West is part of that. The, the, the Saturday Night Live and their skits and stuff, they're part of that. Mm. And, and, and they're getting their entertainment dollar for it. I mean, the news ratings are growing. Everyone's making money off Trump's news stuff covering him. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's money and everything. I mean, the, the news station is going to pander to their audiences, so they're going to say what their audiences want to hear, so their audiences keep them to keep getting their advertising dollars. Yeah. So I try to watch. I, I choose ABC for my national news to watch, and I watch CNN news, and then I watch Fox news, and I try to get all the details in there, too, what the real truth is, and not what they're spinning for their narrative. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else you want to add, or should we move on? We can move on. <laughs> my diary on the way. <laughs> has their own agenda. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Elizabeth Warren, who is currently up for re-election this year in a safe Democratic seat, uh, is considered a top contender for the presidency in 2020, and this week she was hinting that she might run. She said in a tweet, she said, quote, it's time for women to go to Washington and fix our broken government. That includes women at the top. Today at a town hall in, uh, whole, whole Claudie Marty, a Springfield teacher asked where things stand with me running for president in 2020. I told him, after November 6th, I'll take a hard look at it. So what are your thoughts on Elizabeth Warren hinting, kind of throwing her hat in the ring, and potentially running for president in 2020? Uh, I mean, I, I believe she'll throw her hat in the ring. I don't think she has a chance of winning. I think the best chance the Democrats have is this Camilla Harris run from California. And I think mm. she's probably the best bet. She's the most non, I'm going to say, irate-looking person when she speaks. She tries to speak from a point of almost articulate stuff, sort of like Obama. And she's pretty, I don't always agree with what she's saying, but she's saying in a manner that she's not going to offend a whole lot of people. Mm. So I don't think Elizabeth Warren, I think she's going to throw her hat in the ring. I don't think she has a chance. I think Cory Booker's throwing his hat in the ring. I don't think he has a chance. Well, Cory... Sorry, uh, well, Cory Booker, it's interesting with Cory Booker because his seat is up in for, in the Senate in 2020, so he's going to have to either choose, unless he withdraws during the primaries like Marco Rubio and Rand Paul did. Right. But, yeah. 
Like all the other rumored top candidates aren't on up aside from maybe Jeff Merkley, uh, who isn't as rumored, are up for re-election in 2020. Or aren't up for re-election in 2020, except for Cory Booker. Yeah. So we got about two more stories and then we should be done. So the first story I wanted to talk about was uh, about two politically charged entertainment pieces. So um, uh, Michael Moore's new film on the left-leaning side, Michael Moore's film um, uh, Fahrenheit 11.9 opened and it made about $3 million opening weekend. Um, some people are viewing it as bad or underwhelming, although it should be noted that it was pretty much almost the budget that it had that it made back, and it was an indie film. Um, and then also there was um, the other movie that uh, was... Oh, not the movie, but the show Last Man Standing Returns. It's beloved by a lot of conservatives. It returned on a new network, Fox... Um, they were originally the distribution studio behind it. Now they brought it back. Um, it got 8 million, the revival got 8 million viewers. Uh, what, what do you make of both of these things? So should we move on to the last story? Sure. All right. So recently uh, Trump had a rally, um, and during that rally he was talking about North Korea and uh, Kim Jong-un, and there was uh, one comment that drew, uh, drew a lot of people shaking their heads, which was when he said that he fell, quote, fell in love with Kim Jong-un. Um Here's what Trump said. He says, we fell in love. He says, uh, he, I like, he says, quote, I like him. He likes me, Trump declared. We're going back and forth, and then we fell in love. No, really. He wrote me beautiful letters, and they are great letters. We fell in love. Uh, many people uh, have criticized him for this. What are your thoughts on the comment that Trump said? How do you think the North Korean, how do you think it's going to go with them? Do you think it's going to 
lead to an effective do you think it's going to lead to denuclearization the, what's going on with North Korea right now yeah, it depends on the people that are keeping Kim Jong-un in power that upper echelon of people um, they, they really control that more than he does so I, I envision if things go as best as planned you'll have something like a reunification of Germany between the, the two Koreas I'm not sure what the government will look like but somehow the the, the upper echelon in North Korea is going to have to be appeased to allow that reunification to happen but from a civil rights, uh, just a human rights standpoint of the people in North Korea, there's going to be something happening in the next several years where we don't do something that's going to improve the quality of life for those people. So. All right. Well, that's about all the stories uh, we had. Before you go, Ron, do you want to talk about, first of all, thank you again for joining me, but before you go, do you want to talk about where people can find you? Sure. Um, my website is out. I actually acted like I was senator for six weeks and I came out there <laughs> All the issues I heard in neighborhood and community meetings that people had that I could solve at a national level. I went out and did the research, analysis, and put down approaches, plans, and solutions for every one of those things. So here in Hawaii, we've got an issue with something called the Jones Act, which is any cargo shipped between U.S. ports has to be basically on U.S.-owned ships operated by U.S. crews built by U.S. companies. And that was put into place back in 1920 to keep a strong merchant marine fleet around in case of the time of war based on the way wars were fought back then. And, but it's way obsolete now. About 50 years ago, the U.S. had 25% of the global shipping market, and today it's under 2%. And the burden here is that the economists say because of that, the Jones, the Jones shipping is very ineffective and it increases the cost of living in Europe by 10 to 30%. Same for Puerto Rico, Guam, a little bit for Alaska because everything's got to come through that, that shipping industry. So um, one of my goals is I put up a plan forward to how to repeal that Jones Act and to partner with the U.S. shipping industry to make it competitive once again in the world. Um, other things, the health service already mentioned, and I've got numerous acts I mentioned earlier about trying to eliminate as much corruption as possible out of our government by actually taking the money out of it wherever we can. And this is, people come to me, and I said, I'm not a career politician. This is my first time running for public office. And I think if we're running on truth, light, and aloha, our intentions are pure, our goals are just, and our vision is clear. And we're running on message over money, and we're running on solutions over sound bites. And the money thing's a funny question. You can edit this back if you want, but the money thing's a funny question. Um, I got to a week before the primary, and I called the Secretary of Samantha Farr, my statement of candidacy, the FEC statement of candidacy, and the Campaign Finance Committee forms with the Secretary of the Senate. And I called them, and I said, I'm not going to, you're required to file that form because you're considered a candidate on the uh, statement of candidates form when you raise or spend $5,000. And I called them, the secretary said, I said, well, I'm not going to raise or spend $5,000 by the time the primary is. Am I still a candidate? <laughs> yeah. And they put me on hold. And they, and they, they put me on hold and come back and said, well, actually, you're a candidate based on the nomination papers you filed from the state. So, yes, you're a candidate. Oh. I said, okay. So I said, okay, so, so I don't have to follow the papers. You don't have to follow those papers until you're ready to spend $5,000. Okay. Huh. So I held the papers back. <laughs> ah. I was the Democrats to come out. He, he didn't follow your papers. And I was like, why didn't you spend $5,000 yet? <laughs> <laughs> so I still wanted to start running ads on Twitter. I was running on Facebook, and I did all the stuff I needed to do on Facebook. But Twitter was like kind of crazy. You had to fill this form, you had to notarize, get a photocopy of your passport, get a photocopy of it. It was just a lot of steps. Or I could just give my FEC ID. So I said, all right. So I called the secretary and said, I still only spent $3,000, and I submit my papers early. And put me on hold, and they come back and say, we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Can you call the FEC? I said, okay, I called the FEC. And I got a guy there that was pretty knowledgeable. And he said, oh, no, 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 
if it's just once you reach raising or spending five thousand dollars or earning combination, you have to file your papers. I said, okay. So he says, wait a minute, you won a primary? Yeah. He says, I don't think anyone's ever won a primary before that hasn't had to file their papers. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I ran a complete e grassroots campaign here in Hawaii. It's 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 basically four major islands, and I started to go out to other islands to campaign, but it was just fly over and back, small groups of people. I didn't do. And I said, forget that. I'm just going to reach as many people online as I can. I can sit here in a day and reach hundreds of people as opposed to the 50 or 180 that I meet by drive flying to their islands all day. And so that's what I did. And the Facebook message was strong enough and clear enough. And because I didn't do all this traveling and traditional stuff with robocalling or knocking on doors or putting signs all over the place, the costs were low. But hmm. I, anyone that reached out to me online, I, I had people reach out to me that um, would come back to me and they say, um, that I, I mean, just, you know, they come and bet. If they bet it and said Republicans, you know, I'd let it go. But if they came straight at me and said, you're a Republican, you're a fascist, you're a racist, you're a this, that, and I would say, well, you're free to judge me if you want. I said, I personally, the only person I'm going to judge is the person I see in the mirror. I said, but I'm a guy that likes facts on stuff. So how about you go out and read my website and then come back and judge me based on what I said I'm going to do? And I thought that was the end of it. And three days later, I got a message from her, and she says, I read your website. You have a lot of good ideas. I think you can make a difference, and I would vote for you if you want a Republican. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's the battle I fight here. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you again for uh, for joining me, uh, Ron. Good luck in your election. I uh, appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. I, I, thanks for all the questions. And, and if you have anything else, you've got my email. You can follow up, and I can have any other questions you may have. All right. Thank you. All right. Aloha and mahalo, no one. Goodbye.